and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast hosted by Amy Baker. The Riff Raff is a writer's community that champions the work of debut authors and provides guidance, support and services for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Hello everyone, I hope you're all wonderfully well and have had great and productive writing months. On today's episode, I'm chatting to Daniel James, author of the genre-busting, not the book of shortlisted, the unauthorised biography of Ezra Mass. Daniel is a writer, journalist and magazine editor living and working in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and today we're discussing his experimental novel which combines elements of multiple genres, questioning the idea of truth and playing with your reader's expectations. Coney Island Boardwalk looked just as I imagined it. No doubt it had seen better days, but the amusement rides, stalls and retro signage still had a certain charm. It was an unreal place, where America's past and present collided, the neon lights concealing sinister undercurrents. In the late 19th and early 20th century, the glitz and glamour of this electric Eden had kept the poverty-stricken masses entertained, while a tiny percentage of powerful white men hoarded the real wealth and fulfilled their own American dreams. This was back in Coney Island's Jazz Age past. It had many names then. Dreamland, Lilliput, Luna Park, names within names. Only the last one still existed today. Before all of those, the island was known by another, much older name. Nariok, the land without shadows. I understood and agreed with the arguments of those who saw such places as symbols of America's obsession with unreality. And worse, as the calculated deterrence machines of late capitalism. But at the same time, I couldn't quite find it within myself to dislike the iconography of Coney Island. Was that the equivalent of falling in love with your kidnapper, I wondered? Stockholm Syndrome for Kitsch Americana? It was a cold April morning in the land without shadows, and everything was washed out. Scraps of litter were being directed in an invisible dance by eddies of wind from the Atlantic. Tourists and dog walkers... Basketballers on a concrete court, a geriatric jogger with sweatbands, and a young couple arm in arm all passed by me on repeat, like extras from a movie. On the beach, a couple of guys were doing reps with dumbbells, and a little further out, an old man was sat in a deck chair in the sand, staring at the grey, icy waves rising and falling. I dug my hands deeper into the pockets of my overcoat, tucked my chin into my chest, and continued north along the boardwalk, trying to resist the lure of Nathan's famous hot dogs. I was searching for the truth about Ezra Mass, and it was somehow fitting I had ended up at Coney Island, staring out to sea in a place whose present was haunted by futures that had never come to pass. The waves that rose and fell washed everything away eventually, saint and sinner alike. They were indiscriminate, as cold as they were unfeeling. What hope did any of us have in the face of something so vast, so indifferent, and so powerful? Hi, Daniel. Hello. Welcome to London and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast. Hello. Thanks, Amy. Thanks very much for having me. Pleasure yeah. to be here. I'm delighted to have you here today. So, um, yeah, we're here to discuss your debut, the Not the Booker shortlisted novel, the biography of the unauthorised biography of Ezra Mass. Um, please, can we kick things off with a little bit of an insight into what the book is about? Okay, no problem. Big question for this book. It is a big question <laughs> and it is very much an unauthorised biography. It is a, um, it's a novel, but it combines um, elements of, of biography, of... Um, detective fiction of new journalism um it sort of crosses several different genres and um sort of adopts various different styles um there's hard-boiled kind of detective noir in there there's um very much new journalism where i'm kind of placed myself at the sort of heart of the story 
There's traditional biography, there's news clippings, there's emails. Um, I wanted to create something unique, something original, um, and something for readers to really become immersed in and interact with so that it's not um, a passive read. It's, it's a book where readers feel as if they're trying to piece together the mystery alongside me um, as they work through. So it started, um, my work on the novel started about seven or eight years ago. Um, I received a kind of anonymous tip off while I was working as an arts journalist um, up in the Northeast. Um, about this artist who has been very famous in the 60s and 70s and who has disappeared um, in the early 2000s. And he was about to be declared dead by his estate. And in this kind of legal gray area, there was an opportunity to sort of dig into the truth of his life and write a biography. So I was, I'd been looking for the right project to be my first kind of book, my first novel um, for a while. And I've always wanted to be a writer since I was a little boy, really. And it kind of accidentally fallen into a career in journalism and ended up doing it for about 10 years. <laughs> so, um, this material immediately, once I started digging into it and, um, uncovering a few, um, of the kind of early kind of leads, um, I realized was just absolutely fascinating and would be the perfect material for a sort of novel that blurred the lines between fact and fiction. Um, and as soon as I started to investigate, um, this artist's life and interview people who he'd worked with and met and known and lived with. Um, I realized that I, I kind of felt like a detective. I felt like a literary detective. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to write the novel partially in the style of a sort of, you know, hard boiled detective novel. Um, so it, it kind of places me in the role of the protagonist and, you know, um, readers who, who read the book will kind of follow my investigation into the life of, of Ezra Mass from his birth uh, right through to the, to his disappearance. So it covers about about 60 years of history, uh, starting in the 50s and then working its way through to the present. But we also sort of, you know, there's also a detective element where you're following my present day investigation. Um, so that alternates between sort of the this detective style story and then chapters from the Ezra Mass biography. And then in between those, those sort of main chapters, you have newspaper clippings, letters, email correspondence. Um, I wanted it to be a bit like a case file so that, you know, readers felt that they... Um, were part of it with me and um, it was you know it, it, as it gradually came together I realized that I was kind of creating something quite unique you know there's not many novels like it and um, you know I'm really really proud of the finished book okay so it's fiction or it's not fiction or it's non it's a that, that's what I you don't need to answer that mm. you don't need to answer that because I know that that's kind of what it plays with and uh, kind of that I mean that's what I, this book bamboozled me I'm not gonna lie I was like what the fuck is happening here I said to you like it was it's quite mind-boggling because you're reading you know so many so many facts about this person that you've never mm. heard of although the the information that you provide in the book is you know believable and you know but like when you kind of google it and stuff mm. like that like it's it's a mystery and you know so you're confused and you're like who is this who is is this Daniel James, I don't know, it's confusing, but also exciting. And I read quite a lot of reviews that were mm. calling it an experience. Yes. And I felt like it was an experience. And I, it, that felt quite um, exciting because when you're reading it and you're reading about an investigation and these dead ends and these kind of things like that, and you're feeling those feelings at the same time, like it's, you know, it, it, it takes you on that journey, which is exciting. Um, so, so, yeah. You've created something really unique, obviously. It's a kind of a genre of its own. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit about the writing process? Um, like, how how did you juggle? Because, you know, it's quite meta and some, it leaps between genres. And, you know, it, it is kind of this case file, but also this detective story. And then, 
you know, you're obviously in it as a character and it's sort of multiple, multiple mm. disciplines. Um, so was it something that you planned out meticulously and uh, or was it something that you just kind of started writing and it just kind of snowballed into what it's become? I think from the very um, sort of early days when I, when I sort of initially had the idea to do the book, um, the sort of the whole, how I would present the book and that the blend of different genres and different techniques was was immediately kind of part of the, the kind of concept. Um, it wasn't something I just sort of discovered a part of the way through. It was, that was, it was there fully formed from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and I knew the kind of shape of the story. I knew the kind of story that I wanted to tell and the style of the story that I wanted to tell. And then as soon as I began to immerse myself in the research um, and unearthing all of these different facts, um, not just about Ezra Mass, but about kind of art history, yeah. about kind of, you know, literary history, pop culture from the last sort of six decades, really, I just suddenly uncovered all of these absolutely fascinating stories and all the interconnections between them and suddenly realized that it was um, it was not one person's story and it wasn't just it wasn't just my story and it wasn't the story of Ezra Mass, but it was kind of the story of 60 years of history, really. And it was about pulling all that together and making it work uh, as seamlessly as possible, really. So that's one of the reasons why the book has lots of, you know, academic style footnotes. Mm which provide kind of a lot of factual information and background information, but they're also a little bit subversive and they've, they've got their own sort of narrative that runs through them. And I think, um, you know, again, very, they're quite divisive in themselves. You know, people, some people don't like footnotes and other people have kind of picked the footnotes out as something that they particularly like about the book because I think what you can kind of end up getting lost in some of the factual detail. And that's part of the experience I wanted to create, that sort of sense of disorientation that sense of you don't know quite what's happening at any point and keep the sort of level of reality which you're on as the reader in the book keeps shifting. Yeah. So it's, you know, where, you know, what, what world is this now? And, you know, who is the, who is this speaking? And I wanted to, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of books who, which challenge and which um, force the reader to sort of ask questions constantly and reassess their, their experience with the book mm. so that it's not just static and it's not just, you know, you know what's happening from the first 20 pages and then, you know, there's some books that do that, and I think they do it very well. And I think if, if sometimes you want that kind of safe reading experience, you know, I read a lot. I read a lot of detective fiction, and one of the reasons I enjoy reading detective fiction is you kind of get what you want from it. You know, you it has a certain it has certain sort of genre conventions which it which generally it sticks to, and it's almost like a satisfying meal. You go back to that favorite meal because you can you know what you're going to get, mm-hmm. and. But every now and then I like to mix in a book that just, you know, throws the rule book out the window. And I think that was one of the things I wanted to do with this. It was kind of, you know, playing with readers' expectations. They think it's going to go one way and I go a different way. And then, um, you know, continually surprising them and just drawing them on. I wanted to see whether it was possible to write a kind of challenging, um, serious book. Uh, but that was also a page turner and that was yeah. also something that people were, were hooked by the sort of mystery elements of it. And I think, you know, um, detective stories have that ability to do that because you're constantly wanting to find out what's going on. You know, if you withhold information from a reader, it's a great way to, to pull them through the story. Um, you know, there's a, there are a lot of fine writers out there, but sometimes writing can be very... Um, kind of, okay, I use the word static again, but it's basically, it can be beautifully written, but it's not compelling the reader to keep going with it for any reason there's not something that they're trying to to discover and it doesn't necessarily have to be a sort of who done it or um a why done it as such but it could be 
information that you're just keeping away from the readers um, and withholding for a purpose. And it just compels the reader to be interested in it. Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're, we're all, we all naturally ask questions. We all, we're, you know, we're all amateur detectives and we like to, we like to know what's going on, you know, I think as, as human beings. So I think that was one of the, um, the sort of choices of the book was to continually want to, um, to sort of draw readers through it in a way that they were kind of um, questioning what was happening, wanting to find out more, um, right through to the last page, you know, I wanted to keep people guessing. Um, in terms of the writing process, I think I think I wrote the first draft very, very quickly. Um, I wrote the first draft in about two and a half months, and that was about 65,000 words. Uh, I've never written anything before or since as quickly. It was one of those things where I had this idea, and it was so compelling to me, and I was so excited about getting it out of my head and onto the page, that I was just writing at every available opportunity. I was writing um, on the on the commute to work. I was writing over my lunch hour. I was writing at night until I went to bed. Wow. Um, and just giving up the things that you would normally um, sort of lose your writing time to. So, you know, you go and watch a movie or, you you know, you kind of binge watch a TV series or you read another book. Those things were, get, were, were coming second place <laughs> to this because I was so excited about getting it out there. And once I had, within this really short period, I knew it was something special and it just needed um, refining and further research really to really, um, because it, it, it was already at that sort of early stage, it was a blend of fact and fiction. Mm. But I knew really to do justice to the factual elements, I really wanted to research those areas more deeply. And I knew that would take time. Um, so it was kind of a stop-start process over about six or seven years, really. Wow. It's quite a long, quite yeah. a long process. But I mean, I'm not surprised. One thing that like amazes me is how you can be writing something, how how you can keep that laser focus, writing something designed to confuse. <laughs> Were you confused at points? You know, you're bringing together so much. Like I know, obviously, you said you got it all down really quickly mm. and stuff. But you know, and I suppose a lot of writing is once you know what you're writing, then you're cool. But like, yeah. was was that were, getting that concept straight in your head? before you could sit down and hammer it out hmm. was that what was that process like or do, so you said the idea kind of came to you fully formed there wasn't it is that really that's a, there wasn't any kind of process where you were like how am I going to structure this what was there wasn't any kind of no it was, it was no that was uh, almost immediately um when I had the idea of, of of um of doing the book and I would kind of you know I knew that you know once I had this this once I've been contacted and I had this information about this artist I thought I've had a very, it was almost immediate really, I thought I'll write it this way, I'll do a blend of fact and fiction, because I wanted to write a novel, you know, and I was a journalist, so it was a, it seemed a natural um, pathway to go down to write a, you know, write in a journalistic style, but in a, in a you know, in a fictional work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that combination draws on lots of different things in my background as well, When I, once I started looking into it, but instantly, but in that first instance, the sort of the different uh, narratives, the um, the blend of sort of modern day chapters and chapters from the biography from 1950 onwards, the articles in between, all of that came to me immediately. And after that, it was just a case of um, of writing it. Really, it was. I think that was one of the reasons why I wrote it so quickly because I, I just knew immediately what I was going to do, and that had never happened before. It was one of those kind of getting <laughs> struck by lightning moments. Amazing. Um, Sounds fun. Sounds it was. Like, it was it, like oh, it was a wild like it, few yeah. months and. Um, it was one of those things where I kind of, you know, I knew what I had straight away. I knew what I had was special. And I'd been, you know, I'd wanted to be a writer since I was a teenager and I'd been starting different novels and different ideas. And um, I'd been writing, you know, constantly. And 
it wasn't until that moment I knew that was the novel that was going to get published. Mm. Um, and I knew that was because not only was it the idea was so compelling and exciting to me, but I mean, I, I, I'd finished the finished novel within two and a half months, essentially. And I'd never been able to get past the beginning of novels previously. I'd always lost interest in, the, in my own idea. Mm. Or I'd moved, I'm a, like an ideas person, really. So, you know, ideas come very naturally and very quickly to me. Um, but probably, I'd probably get too many ideas. So I'd, I'd get excited about one idea, then I have another idea, and then I'd have so many ideas on the go and different projects on the go. Um, better than having no ideas. Well, it's better than having none, yeah. but it but it can sort of de- be debilitating in a way because if you've got so many different things on the go, you're not investing your time in one of them to do the to do it um, justice. Mm. And I think this was the one time uh, to date where it was just such a compelling single idea that I knew that was the one. And I suppose from a from a writer's perspective, because it was a mix of styles, it was kind of interesting and challenging and exciting to me there was things to research there was there were there were sort of physical um things that i had to do i had to travel to locations and i had to interview people it was it was an exciting experience you know and it, it wasn't just sitting um writing it was you know it was kind of an immersive experience for me as well so i kind of wanted to translate that um into the book for the reader as well yeah yeah blimey um so let's talk about character because obviously mm. you've you know daniel james is in the novel and um, how did you, like, I got the sense that you absolutely loved writing this character <laughs> or yourself, mm. you know, like, who, who knows what, mm. you know. So can you talk a little bit about your kind of um, experience of writing this version of yourself? I don't know, I've only just met you, so I'm mm. not sure what version exists. Um, so, yeah, how did you process, find the process of fictionalising or not fictionalising yourself in a novel? <laughs> it's, um, it's a really interesting process and I kind of would recommend everybody to do it, Um Every writer do it. If, if even if they don't end up using that in the, as a novel, you know, um, I think it's a really interesting process to kind of put yourself sort of under the under that spotlight. And I think one of the reasons I I had the idea to do it originally was, um, I think you know, biographers have this this sort of amazing power to sort of you know they investigate people's lives and they sometimes read their personal correspondence and those people are sometimes you know long dead and have absolutely no say in it. It's really quite invasive, you know, and I was. I'd never really um, looked into how biographers work before um, until I, you know, started writing. Started this process and was, you know, was kind of hired to write the book. So I was, um, as I started to look into it, I, I actually found that I felt that um, a lot of biographers were quite hypocritical because most of them, nine out of ten, talk about all of these different ways they invade people's privacy to get to the real truth of the person, mm. and yet they all, almost all of them, say I wouldn't want it done to them. They wouldn't want somebody to be reading their personal emails yeah. or speaking to their, you know, ex-lovers to find out information about them. So I thought, well, if I'm going to write this this sort of tell-all, um, fully truthful book about this this artist's life, and he has no say in it, he's just, he's long since disappeared. I should be willing to put myself under the spotlight. So that was where it started, and then obviously once I realised um, I was going to be this sort of the character in my own novel. Um, I then began to have a bit of fun with it, you know, and, and just think about, you know, how, how am I perceived by other people and, you know, how am I perceived by the world? Um, how do I perceive myself? And, you know, uh, challenging those perceptions and playing around with them, you know, and I, I think a few, quite a few people have, have, you know, asked the question, are you really like the Daniel James yeah. in the novel? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I like, I think that's for people who, um, who meet me to make up their own minds, you know, I think, um, I, I will just say I had a lot of fun writing the the character of me in the yeah. novel, and um, you know he, he he has an interesting and um, 
sort of arc. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the great things that I sort of found from readers who have read the book and then in, who left reviews or got in touch is that if, you know, a lot of people really connect with the character. I think it's a good character who acts as a kind of cipher where you find yourself, you know, living that, um, sort of journey with him, you know, I think particularly with the book is presented a lot of people, you know, he becomes, I become quite obsessive with finding the, you know, obsessed with finding the truth and discovering the truth at all, at all costs. And I think people that, that sort of go through that similar experience of the book, you know, questioning what's real and confused, you know, you feel the character's confusion as he's pulled through this, you know, down this rabbit hole um, into a kind of maze where he doesn't know what's real and what's not anymore. Yeah, and who, who, who to believe? Who like, You're reading stuff and you're like, oh, well, that must be true. And then it's, it's a constantly questioning yeah. the truth. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know couldn't be a more timely thing for us to be questioning. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that was, you know, when I started the um, the novel, um, I think, we you know, we were kind of, kind of pre-post-truth era, you know, more or less. But, I, I, you know, while I was writing the book, I think a lot of the themes um, of kind of, you know, of, you know, what is real and um, this kind of very unreal world and unreal times that we find ourselves living in um, become more and more topical and more and more kind of prescient. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're living in a world where there are, you know, of deep fakes and where, you know, things can be manipulated very easily and where, you know, the kind of the people use the cult of celebrity to sort of, you know, um, you know, tell stories and, you know, use kind of storytelling in different mediums to sort of for an agenda, you know, mm-hmm. and to and it's um it's very, you know, it's a very interesting area. And it's something I, you know, as a journalist, you know, one of my jobs was to kind of, you know, um, represent uh, the independent press and 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 facts and um, you know bring the truth to light. So it was you know I think it's you know quite a timely book in some ways. And I think um, I think it was a really interesting area for me to to explore. And um, I really you know enjoyed digging into those themes. It's it's fun that you know you said that it was kind of pre all that, mm. and then it's obviously like that's obviously all come to the fore. And it's like who do you believe and. You know, you, you now that we know that so many people have an agenda. Yeah. You know, now you can read things with those with that kind of in mind, but there's still a lot of things that you don't, you know, that you don't question. You just because it's so kind of ingrained to you not mm. to question. Well, maybe maybe as a journalist, that's not. But I feel like sometimes I'm kind of like, well, that's that must be true. And then this makes you go, oh, who's telling me this? And who are they? What is that person? Yeah. And, and you know that kind of thing. Can yeah? Can you talk a little bit about your, your exploration of truth? In the book, <laughs> I'm, 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 I don't want to give anything away no, or no. anything like that. So I'm, like, I'm being careful with my questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, truth is such a slippery thing, isn't it? I think um, I think that's one of the you know when I was writing the book, it was really about kind of um, one of the key questions was you know can we ever really know the truth about another person? You know, we we you know whether that's writing a biography about somebody or even. Um, you know, a close friend, you know, we can, you know, we just, we take a lot for granted and we have to accept a lot of truths on, on face value um, and on appearances. So, you know, on some very, very simple levels, it's about um, what can we ever know with any certainty, mm-hmm. you know, and, and once you start kind of pulling that thread, it really makes you start questioning everything, you know, and I think that is a very simple way of looking at it. And obviously we're, we're looking, you know, we all live in a world now where, you know, um, big corporations and nations are potentially manipulating the media and digital advertising and deep fakes and, you know, social media, all of the different things and propaganda that we're kind of seeing come up against. But even on a much, much simpler um, and more personal level, 
where you know can we ever know the truth about another person can we know ever know the truth about the world we we live in you know we just accept what we're presented with so much of the time we could be living in the matrix absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> and I, these questions have always fascinated me and i think um i think you know they are staged you know really in really interesting ways in a lot of different um books and and films and you know this was my opportunity to sort of explore those questions really mm. and um you know i wanted to sort of I wanted readers to be asking themselves, as I said, all the way through the book, um, and questioning, you know, what the characters are telling them, questioning the characters' perceptions of events, you know, and, um, you know, we're, we're often presented in the novel with several different perspectives on, on similar events, several different perspectives on the same person, which are contradictory. And, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, it's up to the reader then to sort of try and separate fact and fiction and decide, you know, what is true. And, you know, who gets to decide what is true? You know, what is... You know, if, if history is the authorised version of events, you know, history is written by the winners, mm. as they say, then, um, you know, what, does that make a history book true? Mm. Is that the truth of really what happened? There are true, truths that change contextually throughout history. You know, things that we took for granted and believed were true about the past, we now know aren't. Mm. Um, the truth is something that changes, and depending on your position and depending on... Um, your perceptions and all sorts of other different sort of factors. So it's, it's, I find it fascinating. Yeah. And I, it was one of those things that I you kind of, um, I wanted to explore from as many different angles as possible while also trying to, you know, draw readers through an entertaining story. You know, these are, these are big themes and big questions. And um, the things that from a kind of philosophical um, and literary perspective have always interested me. I wanted to explore them through um, a narrative and through a story that remained compelling throughout. Mm. You know, I didn't want to um, lose people to to sort of, you know, just focusing too much on on, on questions like that um, without it being, you know, and being divorced from um, a compelling story. You know, I'm, I am a storyteller. I love stories. I love books. And I love, you know, escaping and disappearing into that kind of fictional world that, that kind of books bring. Um, you know, I've been reading, you know, I've, I love reading and one of the you know that amazing experience when you're reading a book and you the whole world around you just disappears you know you could be sitting on a bus and that bus and those passengers are with you are gone mm. you know you're just there in the book and you're almost annoyed to be brought back out of that to the real world you know when you get to your stop and I I, I absolutely adore that experience and I wanted to um, address some of these these big questions and these interesting themes that are particularly relevant to the world we're living in but do it in a way that remained compelling and remained um, exciting mm. and um, you know that had readers kind of hooked from kind of the beginning to the end because that's what I look for in a, in a story you know I, yeah. I want to be I want to be kind of thrilled I want to be um, entertained I want to be challenged and I'm trying to you know one of those things with the debut novel is you don't ever know if you're going to get to write another one so you know you I, I, to a certain extent I tried to you know do the absolute best I could possibly do with this one explore all the things I wanted to do um, show what I could do and then um, you know hopefully people enjoy the experience yeah. and it's a fine line isn't it between wanting your so having this fun narrative for readers to be immersed mm. in and then presenting the point of view that you're playing with you know because you don't you so and you do that really well in the book like there's little sort of like I felt like there were quite a few sort of sentences or sentiments where I was like that's what he's doing you know like and 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 like for I mean I can give some examples but I'm not sure if I should <laughs> but um 
And I wondered, because obviously, you know, you've got them in there to kind of have, to provide some clarity, to kind of give some people some guidance, like mm. a little bit of a road sign being like, this yeah. is what's happening. And then, and then I'm going to completely, <laughs> yeah. you know, take the, throw the rug out from underneath you. Um, how did you balance putting in those bits, putting in the bits that were kind of like road signs mm. in, in, along the journey around all of the sort of like fake, like, you know, red herrings that you were supposed to look at, but then it was like, am I supposed to be looking at that? Yeah, how, when did you, how did you know when to feed them in and how did you work out the balance that I suppose that maybe came in the rewriting? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the structure, interestingly, remained pretty much consistent from the first draft through to the end, but the, the novel expanded by about 50,000 words. Um, <laughs> That's significant. Yeah, it is yeah. significant. Um, and it was mostly, it wasn't really changing the shape, it was just more adding um, to the sort of the, the scaffolding and to the structure um, in a way that... And there was, a, you know, there was a little bit of a moving around process at times where it was, you know, does that piece work as well as it could there? Um, and as you say, there are signposts kind of throughout. And I kind of wanted to, you know, it is kind of structured like a maze. I think one reviewer said that it's less of a maze and more of a spiral. Um, and I really like that description. <laughs> I felt like I was spiraling. Yeah, you're yeah. spiraling. Yeah, and I kept down the rabbit hole. What's and I happening? think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I, I love that. I think it's a great way of describing the structure of the book. But I, I did want to have um, road signs, as you say, where things were signposted and where readers could sort of, you know, reorientate themselves at various points. Mm. Um, and then, of course, I realized very quickly that as well as having those, those points there, those points were positions where I could continu continue to play games with the reader. So there are signposts which aren't really signposts. There are explanations for what's happening that are entirely subversive. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, there's a, there are sections of the book which almost start to analyze itself where you've got, because you've got these footnotes and you've got an, an editor whose commentary runs throughout the footnotes and which often comments on and speculates about the, the validity or truthfulness of some of the you know the main narrative threads, you've kind of got these these multiple sort of narratives running in parallel, and at times that that sort of anonymous editor does um, enter into almost entirely reflective passages about this is what's happening here and this is related to this theory, literary theory, and of course some of those are absolutely legitimate exercises in the book kind of um, kind of reflecting commentating on it, on what's doing, but also some of them are further games and mm. that you know I'm although there are signposts those signposts are um sometimes not all what they seem so that's yeah. that's for, again that's another thing for the reader to you know am I being told something that is legitimately this is a key that, I, that I've been given to help unlock further parts of the book or is it entirely leading me down a false trail yeah and one of the things that I wanted to do about the book was was have leave it open to lots of different interpretations. Mm. So there are explanations in there, several different explanations for what's happening at once in places that I think all, are all valid. Um, and I've heard lots of different theories from readers about you know this is uh, this is what the book's about and this is what's happening and that bit. And some of them vary massively. And I kind of my answer is they're all true and none of them are true. You know I think it's kind of you know you. I want individual readers to bring a lot to to the, the book themselves. You know, I think um, and so choose your own adventure. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I used to love those books. <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah, um, and I, I like the kind of yeah the sort of interactive nature of them, um, and that was again part of the reason why um, you know there are elements which take the book beyond the printed page. So there are kind of multimedia elements that for people to engage with if they so wish. Um, 
you know, if people read the book, they will they will find little clues leading them to things online. Um, and I think that, and lots of people have commented on that being part of this immersive experience. Mm. And some people, you know, they just want to read a book, and that's absolutely fine. You don't, you're not missing anything by just reading the book. But if you, you know, you, a lot of other people will read the book, and then about twenty pages in, they'll read something and think, "Is that real? Did that really happen?" And then go and Google it. That's what I did. Yeah, find yeah. out that it was real, <laughs> and then, well, if that's real, what that also must be real, and then. It just it just further you know I wanted to have it quite dense with information and quite dense with facts. Um, there's a line I think quite early in the book about about Ezra Mass, which is that um, you know he casually kind of scattered the the um, the kind of stories of his life around him, you know, like like leaves around a tree, because in a forest of signs, nothing can be seen clearly at all. And I think you know that was kind of I guess that is an insight into the structure of the book. It's there's a lot of information. And, you know, you've got to really try and navigate your way through. Um, so in, all of it is interesting. Not all of it is, is in, entirely truthful. Not all of it is entirely to do with the story. And it's, it, it's you, you've got to work your own way path through. And I think it's, um, you know, as you say, like, it's almost a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure interactive narrative experiment. You know, and, that, and with the online elements as well, I was really interested in doing something different um, in terms of how... You know, we, we, we consume um, stories so differently now than we did even just 10 years ago um, and the way we use kind of smartphones and digital media. So there's not, there are opportunities now, I think, for writers to do different things with, mm. with books. Uh, I don't, they don't have to. I think it's totally, you know, a lot of books are just, you know, realist novels and that, you know, I, I love those novels as well. But I think, you know, I was interested in just asking the question of, well, what if we had this bit of information online and what if we, if people, if readers sort of, you know, they saw this this link and then went to see if it was a real link and found that it was and then started digging around <laughs> on the website. And... I don't know how you kept your mind during this, like, because it's like, it is so, it is so many layers and so many kind of like complex ideas, like, you know, and wanting, like, having people have their to seeing their perception mm. of the story is sure, like did you have that readers like did you have that in mind that you wanted the reader to sort of like figure it out and have their kind of like version of events or did is is that were you thinking about the reader's experience the whole time you were writing yes and no i mean i think i think as a writer you you've got to i mean a lot of people say that writers write their first book for themselves and i think and um I remember I met, I got to meet Philip Pullman about um, five or six years ago. Cool. Uh, yeah, it was very good. It was, he was great. And um, his advice was, write the book that you want to read. And I, it was really reassuring to hear at the time because that's exactly what I've always tried to do. The, the projects that I've always sort of started as as novels, um, including this one, especially this one, were, were things that I was really excited and interested um, in, I'm really excited about bringing to the page and... Um, that if I went, you know, walked into a bookstore and picked up this book and started flicking through it, it's a kind of book that I would buy and love, you know, and, and become completely lost and lost in and obsessed by. <laughs> so it was, you know, I kind of, you know, I had that in mind. I wanted to write a book that I would love, um, and then also hoping that, you know, other people out there would, with maybe similar interests, would enjoy it as well. And I kind of always, I think, had the sense that the book would be a kind of a cult novel rather than, you know, mass big mainstream success and that is absolutely you know fine by me and I think I'd rather a small number of people absolutely loved the book than um you know the whole world kind of liked it kind of appropriate yeah, yeah. Of, and also kind of appropriate if it's kind of a bit of a cult thing mm. you know yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> so what advice would you have 
for people that are trying to write something that confuses their readers or not confuses them but something that tests the reader you know like something that is um designed specifically to make the reader think about more mm. than what they're reading um i think first first instance i would think you've got to always focus on um your own interests and what you would like to read and then you know if you like reading challenging literature there will be you no know, there are other people out there who, who like that as well so that that is your kind of audience i mean as a writer you always you always write to your audience um i think when it's a kind of a, a sort of passion project or a project which you're you know you feel very intensely about yourself i think you know you need to focus on like what interests you and then not worry too much about um the kind of more commercial side of it like will it will it work with an agent will you know the big publishers be interested because i think then you will be drawn away from what the the um what inspired you right in the first place yeah, the creative idea yeah the creative yeah. idea so I, th- I think be true to the idea i think you know if you've got an idea let it take its natural course and there was lots of times with this where you know I, it wasn't the, the idea wasn't to write something challenging it was just that simply the best way to tell the story was in quite a challenging way and some of the things that it, it, it um some of the themes and questions it raises and themes it engages with are quite challenging and aren't things that can be easily answered mm. and i i've always found novels or any other kind of media where there you get this sort of neatly wrapped up ending and and very straightforward answer really unsatisfying me too yeah i you can really kill a fantastic story by giving the reader everything at yeah, the end tying a bow on it yeah it yeah. just just knocks it dead and, and that's it and they'll not come back and read that again because there's nothing to be gained from it i get the sense that if you were to read your book again it would be a whole different experience because yeah. you come into it with the perceptions that you had the first time around and then you know you could you'd see all these other things and then and then it would make you completely question it how many times have you read it <laughs> oh god that's a good question um <laughs> oh i don't know probably between probably between 6 and a dozen but but probably not all the way through just yeah. just bits and pieces and i don't really read it anymore apart from doing readings um, just sort of extracts. I, I don't really pick it up and, and get into it anymore. It's sort of done for me. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but well, in some ways, it'll never be over. It's one of those things. It's a, it's a, it was a strange book that had a kind of life of its own. And um, I think because I was very much part of the story and part of the investigation, it's one of those things where you know lots of of strange and and uh, unusual things happened during the writing of the book and continue to happen. I continue to get you know contacted. Um, by by people and um, with not just with questions about the book, but you know, in different ways associated with the book. There was a, there was a, there was a moment when actually there's a, there's a couple of instances. Well, one of them is quite like not unsettling at all, but one of, the other one is quite unsettling. One of them, I was writing the book and um, towards the end of it, and uh, I used to work in this office where on the third floor of a building, like an old Georgian terrace, which is beautiful. And I was so sort of there after hours and working on the on the novel. And outside the window, when I looked down, there was a van across the street, black van, and on the side it said Mass International. Oh, wow. Yeah? So I was, I was just <laughs> sat there writing this book about, about Ezra Mass and the Mass Foundation and um, how they were kind of, you know, on my trail. And there they, you know, there was this van, you yeah. know, parked across the street. It's not so, very uh, incognito, is it? No, no, not at all. <laughs> and it was, um, yeah, it was, that was a little, little something, but it was, um, there was another section where, and I've included these emails in in the actual book itself, which um, I, I wanted to do that because because of the circumstances, really. So I got contacted by a guy 
who was a poet who wanted to contribute some um, poets uh, poems to my uh, the magazine that I used to to edit, and um, he seemed to have some information about about his remarks, about the situation um, that I was working on at the time. And we got into this kind of really odd correspondence, and he was quite an unusual guy. And then this lasted for a period, and then it kind of ended, sort of not but long before I'd finished the manuscript. Um, and then I didn't really think anything of it, other than the fact that they were really bizarre emails. In a very literary, you know, he was very clever, very literary, lots of literary references and allusions, and seemed to know more than he should know about what I was doing. Um, and I was, you know, I was quite interested. I talked to him quite a bit about, you know, I'd be interested in potentially including these this correspondence in the book because it's kind of, it's fascinating and I think it reads really well and it's another aspect of me and my method at the time was to include things that were happening to me in, in the story and be, be as truthful about my own life as possible. Um, and then about six months later, I got an email from somebody who claiming to be his partner who said um, that he, he died, that he'd been found dead um, and that she was moving away and she wanted to let me know because my correspondence with him had meant a lot and um, and that his death was kind of like an unexplained thing. Didn't know whether he'd taken his own life or it had been an accidental overdose or something. And I at first thought that this was him using a different email address yeah, to kind yeah, of that was me- play I with thought. me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, so my initial response was kind of like sympathetic, but also slightly kind of um, just not taking it completely as you know as the truth. And then. Um, I started to look into it, so I had the guy's name, and I made a few calls, and I found yeah, an inqu- like a um, like a death notice, and, um, and there had been an inquest in in the area, in the area where he lived, and it was it was absolutely legitimate. He had oh, he was dead. Uh, it just it didn't say it didn't say like natural causes, I guess, but he was only forty two, um, oh, wow. so it was quite. Yeah, oh I was God. quite I was quite genuinely quite like unsettled. Yeah. Um, and I asked her permission, his partner's permission, to include the the emails in the book. So wow. those emails are absolutely oh like word for word this this strange correspondence that I had with this guy I in two thousand twelve. I have no idea what's real and what's not real. I'm, I, yeah, my god. Um, so that's crazy. That's a crazy mm. story. Um, so I think it's safe to say the book is quite meta. It's mm. very meta, and that can be quite a sort of divisive tool for writers and for readers. Mm. And I wondered um, what advice you have for someone hoping to write something that kind of is quite meta. Yeah, I mean, I think it's if if something that I, I think interests you, then I think don't be put off doing challenging things or um, or writing something that is divisive. I mean, like I say, from my perspective, it, divi- being divisive is not necessarily a bad thing. If you you know you um, you have readers who are love who love what you're doing, then you kind of that, that's great. You know, I think um, it's I think it's um, you know be you know that, you know meta fiction is something that's always interested me. Um, I remember kind of studying at university alongside all sorts of other different types of techniques and, and styles and genres. And I've always been particularly interested in um, metafiction in relation to um, sort of the novel and like and sort of postmodern detective novels. So you've got things like, you know, the work of Thomas Pynchon, um, Paul Oster's New York trilogy, um, and many, many others. Um, where they play around with the kind of conventions of um, the detective genre to kind of open up as a sort of gateway into sort of deeper, more existential kind of questions. Um, there's a few novelists out there who, who, are, who do, are doing similar things. I think it's a really interesting area. I think that I've heard the term existential noir mm. is a kind of... Um, is a new, sort of, yeah, yeah, it's a new term. <laughs> I was an American author who, who 
was describing her work as, as that. And I think um, when I read, I've not actually read her work, but when I, when I read the kind of synopsis of the book she was talking about, it sounds like my kind of thing, you know? So it's, um, it's sort of a book that starts with the sort of the setup of a detective story, but ultimately drifts into something else entirely. And that's, that's kind of what I was trying to do here, as well as a lot of other things. Um, so I think if you're, you know, if you, you find your story going in a challenging direction, don't be afraid of that. Don't think, well, it's not going to sell, it's not going to be commercial, because there are people who are interested in reading that kind of material. And there are a lot of good opportunities with publishers now, um, particularly independent publishers mm-hmm. who are willing to take a chance on books that are ambitious and different, um, that as well as, you know, tackling, you know, different themes and using kind of potentially divisive or challenging techniques, which are also experimenting with language, which are um, playing games with the reader, which are... Um, pushing the limits of genre. Yeah, pushing, pushing the limits of genre, of genre yeah. or, or really focusing on, on difficult or controversial subject matter, you know. There are some really fantastic um, kind of avant-garde and experimental novels out there, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of going through a bit of a boom period, I think, in the UK um, with kind of writers who are kind of pushing the boundaries of what the novel can do and what language can do. And I think it's a really good time. If you if that's the kind of fiction that you want to write, I think don't be afraid of it. Um, go for it, you know, immerse yourself in it. Because if, I think if you do, you'll write something that's true to you as a writer and that um, really says a lot about who you are and what your interests are. And I think if you stay true to yourself, you won't go too far wrong. I think it's when people, when writers or when any kind of artist try to do something that is to please other people, yeah. that they move away from what is their natural strength. Or when you spend too long thinking, like studying what other people are doing, it can sometimes cloud what you're, what you know you're, you're trying to do. You yeah, know? you can, you can have too many kind of things influencing you. That oh yeah, stop you. Yeah, I think one, it's really hard. I think as a writer because you'll be seeing constantly stories of other writers talking about their books or um, you know being successful or not successful, and it's one of the hardest things to do is stop comparing yourself to other writers. You know, you're completely unique. Um, no one can write your book. Your book is yours, absolutely yours, and it will come, you know, from inside you. And I think as long as you stay true to that and don't try to, you know, mimic the work of other writers because it's been successful, or even if you love it, you know, you, you can admire a writer without trying to write like them. Um, most of the writers I admire are completely different from each other and completely different from me. You've got to. I think find your own voice, let it come out naturally through the work. And, and part of that is is by focusing on things that interest you and excite you. Um, and sometimes that's to do with research. You know, I think sometimes be, be um, let yourself be, um, you know, taken over and captivated by something that you read. You know, you, when you find yourself, you know, when you're reading something and you think that would make a fantastic story, you know, make a note of it and just kind of see where the, you know, let's see where the idea goes. You know, sometimes I think you've got to wait for, lightning to strike, you know, <laughs> as it did with me. And I think sometimes it's about putting in the hard work and immersing yourself in different material and finding what clicks with you and which, what connects with you as a writer. Um, but I think my, my, you know, one of the most important things is just to keep going. You know, if you've got an idea that, um, you know, you're passionate about and that it's this in being a writer is something that you've always wanted to do. My kind of biggest piece of advice for any writer is just to, to, to keep at it and not to give up. The only thing that will stop you from achieving that dream is giving up. Mm. You know, that's the only thing that will absolutely, definitely stop you from doing it. Um, everything else can be overcome. You know, if you just keep working hard, um, you keep wanting it, and you kind of, you know, I think you mentioned the phrase 
tunnel vision earlier on. You've kind of got to have tunnel vision about sure. getting published and, and writing and finishing that, that book. Um, and you've got to be a bit obsessive. You've got to be a bit like Daniel James in the novel yeah. and just keep going and keep going until there's, there's nowhere left to go. You know, I think um, loads of opportunities I could have just given up um, and lots of, you know, obstacles that I had to get past and lots of bad things happen along the way. And, you know, it's really, really hard sometimes to to find that, that will and that energy to keep doing this thing you know if you're not getting anything in return sometimes mm. um a lot of the time a lot of the time yeah <laughs> as a writer but if you do if you if you do you will get there you yeah. will yeah man keep yeah. going keep on trucking <laughs> um so where what are you working on another book like where do you possibly go from here <laughs> i know somebody asked me that the other day someone said um you've kind of set yourself like an impossible bar um, and I think the only only way to go really would be to do well would be down no um, would be to do something different I think um, yeah it's it was a you know it's an insane book to do as your debut um, and um, it, you know ridiculously ambitious and crosses all sorts of genres and breaks all sorts of rules um, but that's the book that I wanted to write and um, I did it and. I'm really proud of it. And I think one of the things that what, what happens when you've actually finished a manuscript for the first time, even before it's being published, is you kind of realize that it's possible. Yeah. It's possible for you to to get to the end. Um, and you understand, you kind of gain an understanding of that's what it takes to achieve that. Um, it's a bit like, I suppose, running a, a marathon. And once you've done it, you've, you kind of know what the hard points are going to be, you know, when you're going to have to bite down and keep going and kind of what it takes to do it again. Um, so yeah, I'm working on another one now, and the aim is to write it much quicker than six or seven years. <laughs> um, I'm hoping to have it finished early next year, and then maybe out the year after that. So it's um, it could be you know it takes a long time, but you know as, as you know as all writers know, sort of from writing something to seeing it come out is quite a long process. Um, but I'm really excited about it. I've got that kind of you know that lightning in a bottle sort of oh, feeling nice. again. And um, I think it could be, could be great. Um, it will be great. Yeah. It, <laughs> it draws on, it draws on um, some real events again. Um, so in some ways I think it'll be probably be more ambitious. In some ways I think it'll be, um, some people might see it as more conventional, but I think if you, if it's, I think if you come at it from the perspective of it being more conventional, it's probably going to play games with you. So it's uh yeah, it'll, I'm kind of, you know, looking to, um, to kind of do something different, but also um, kind of build on what I've done already. And I yeah. think one of the really, really interesting things about having published something once and having people, you know, having readers, you, you, you're you not just writing for yourself anymore. Um, you're not just working in a vacuum. There are people with expectations. There are people who kind of want to see what you're doing next and are excited about it. And that is a brilliant kind of pressure. Um can't think about them too much though otherwise no no you can't it's that yeah it's that balance between kind of like not working in a vacuum which i think can be unhealthy but but also not writing something just to please the people who have enjoyed what you did the first time um i think that's that's a trap that you know probably quite easy to fall in particularly if you've had a successful first novel and your agent and your publisher then wants you to repeat that Mm. over and over and over again and it probably becomes increasingly comfortable but extremely hard to break that cycle once you get into it so I want to keep challenging myself as a writer and um, exploring areas and asking questions of myself um, that I haven't done before and improving and improving as a writer I think you've got to 
be open to learning and, and refining what you do. I learned so much writing that book and I kind of want to now show that with the next one. Um, but yeah, knowing that, knowing that there are people waiting to read it is really, it's, it's kind of mind blowing. It's something that you never really think about. You never think, of, I was thinking as far as seeing the book on a shelf. That was the kind of dream that I had imagined all those years when I was kind of, you know, struggling and, and kind of, you know, hoping that this was going to happen one day. It was always about walking into a bookshop and, you know, looking for my name alphabetically on the, um, in the fiction section and finding my book. I was, you know, I had imagined it so many times. I got to do it and it was amazing. And um, I never hadn't really thought past that. Yeah. Um, so now the idea that there are readers out there who are kind of waiting to see what I'm, I'm doing next is kind of crazy, but it's brilliant. Yeah, it is brilliant. Um, just really quickly, we're running out of time, but just really quickly. Um, obviously, you your book was published by Dead Ink, Ink Books, mm. which is one of the, like, we've had Haroon Khan, who wrote The Study Circle at one of our events before. So they're doing exciting things. Mm. And I wondered if you could just quickly talk about um, your experience of, not necessarily, like, did you did you apply? Did you um, submit to traditional publishers first, and and then go for Dead Ink Books, or what was the kind of what was your journey to publication with the book? I, I was really lucky. I um, they were the first publisher I sent the manuscript oh, to. Nice. Yeah, it was it was an, they had an open window, which was for I think a couple of months, um, maybe four years ago, and it was for like a new voices thing, first time authors, um, experimental fiction, and it just seemed to be immediately. I thought they should hopefully like what I'm trying to do here. So I sent the manuscript off and then, you know, it led, led to where we are today. So I, there are lots of great publishers similar to Dead Ink out there. Um, in the North, you've got the Northern Fiction Alliance. So a lot of the independent publishers kind of are part of an alliance of Northern publishers who are all based outside of London and they're kind of, they support each other. And they're all publishing like, you know, challenging kind of boundary breaking new fiction. And there, if you are writing that kind of work, and that's something that interests you, they are a great place to, you know, you don't have to be based in the north to work mm. with them. They just happen to be based in the north or across the UK. And that's, you know, all the way up to Newcastle. You know, you've got um, Manchester and Liverpool. Um, you've got some fantastic publishers amongst that group. Um, and there are lots of other independent publishers separate to those. And I think that's a great avenue. You know, you've got independent publishers who have got books on the, the Madden Booker Prize this year. You've got independent publishers who have got books on the Goldsmiths Prize. Yeah. And it's a real indication that the books that they're investing in, their time and energy in, are um, are worth that investment because they're punching above their weight. You know, these publishers don't have big marketing budgets and they don't have, you know, they can't throw money at advertising campaigns. It's all about the quality of the book. Yeah. So, um, and the fact that they're getting, you know, shortlisted for these massive, you know, global prizes is a testament to the kind of keen eye of the editors at these, these publishing houses who are picking these books. And... Um, and the fact that it's worth, you know, writing those kind of challenging experimental books. Mm. So it's um, if that's something that you want to do, you know, go for it and don't be scared of it. Yeah, some of the stuff that I've read that's come from kind of like 404 Inc. And yes, and yeah. Books and like that, like it's stuff that is exciting. And yeah. I always look to them for events and stuff like that. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you very much, Daniel James, for thank coming you. and speaking to me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. kids just a quick message from me good news for those of you looking to really focus on your writing in 2020 until december the 24th i'm offering 15 percent discounts on all riffraff services so that includes the mentoring scheme and the manuscript shakedown both of which offer you the chance to work directly with me or with a contemporary author within your genre so tell santa what you want this year or your parents or whoever and head over to the-riffraff.com for more details and to check out our list of over 30 author mentors 
or you can just drop me an email directly at oi at the-myself.com. Let's get to work. 